Now, today's episode of The Great Indoors is groundbreaking. We're no longer in The Great Indoors, and we are coming to you from Mobile World Congress in Los Angeles. Now, over the last week, we have had a recording studio on prominent display at this event, and we have had amazing conversations with some of the industry's leading figures. So welcome to The Great Indoors, a podcast where we look at the lasting technological changes brought about by the pandemic and how technology can potentially help solve the other challenges facing humanity. I'm your host, Matt Roberts, and and joining me today is not only my co-pilot and producer, Larissa Yee, but I'll also be joined by the NAO Divisional President from Amdocs, Liliana Schwartz-Brunner. So on this first special Los Angeles edition, we will be featuring the Chief Revenue Officer of Verizon, Sampath Samayanaran, the CTIO of Millicom, Xavier Rockaplan, and the GSMA's Head of Intelligence, Mr. Peter Jarek. Okay, so this is the start of the Great Indoors live at MWC LA 2021. This is the first podcast we um, are recording from the show. In fact, this is the first time we've ever done a great indoors podcast at such close proximity. Normally, we've been all on the different parts of the planet. Um, so I'd like to welcome our first guest uh, from Verizon. He's the Chief Revenue Officer, Sampath. How are you? Hey, awesome. Also awesome to be here live in person, meeting people, bumping fists. It's pretty good. Excellent. And I'm also joined, my co-host today, from Amdocs, Liliana Schwarzbrunner. Hi, Liliana. Hey, great to be here and so much greatness here in the small room, uh, live broadcasting here. Yeah. So, very exciting. So let's get going. Let's get into this because um, everybody's very excited. Sampath, like you said, it's great to be back. Great to do some fist pumping, see people in person. So how does it feel so far? We're 10 minutes into the show. How does it feel to be back? You know, there are a lot more people. There are a lot more people than we thought. Uh, we, have, we have a 5G forum going on out there that Verizon's hosting. It's packed. There's no place there. Uh, look, there's a lot of momentum for this industry right now. Uh, first is 5G. It's the fastest deployed technology we've ever seen. There's going to be trillions of value that's going to be created on top of it. So we are at the right place. Uh, two is fiber. There's a lot of deployment of fiber. And third is digitization. So you've got all the trends working in the right way. So this is an amazing year to be in this business. No, it certainly is. And what are you most excited about? You talked about 5G right there, Sampa, but what's the thing that excites you the most right now about what, what's happening in the industry? Look, 5G, I, I feel a little bit like, uh, you know, when 4G was launched, uh, you know, X years ago. And at that time, we really didn't know what the killer application was. We thought it was going to be Napster. Yeah, I remember Napster. Yeah, 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 yeah I remember yeah, it well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't age yourself, yeah, say you yeah, don't yeah, remember yeah, yeah. it. Uh, but we thought Napster was a killer ad. And of course, trillions, literally trillions of enterprise value has been created on top of that. We are exactly at the same place on 5G here today. And 5G is real. I think the biggest theme for us is 5G is real. 5G is already showing value. And we are just at the beginning of a very long game. No, exactly, exactly. And one of the, the, the purposes, one of the reasons we set up this podcast was we looked at the importance technology has played in society during the lockdown, the pandemic. It's been the glue that's held us together. What do you, what do you think technology and Verizon has given society in the last 18 months that you've been very proud of? It's our support of small businesses. Uh, one of the things we've seen is Typically, when technology revolutions happen or technology uh, 
transformations happen. The large companies know what they're doing. They have consultants, they have partners, they work with them, they deploy them. You have the small businesses that don't get that same traction or love to do that. I have a thesis, 30 to 40% of small businesses in America don't have a digital presence. Another 30% of them have a pretty poor digital presence. So two thirds of small businesses in America don't have great digital presence and are not taking advantage all the technology investments we are making. I'll give you an example. I, I, I live in a small town in New Jersey. Mm. Uh, we have a deli, a Melbourne deli, a great sandwich. I mean, amazing sandwich. It's called Three's a Company. It's a great sandwich. But it's old school. You go, you wait in line, you get a little triangle sticker, you go wait in line and the guy makes the order for you and then you go and you mm. pay out mostly in cash. Now with the pandemic, uh, they had to change their model. So they immediately had to go to online ordering, mobile ordering, SMS notification. So in a span of literally a month, they transformed their whole business. That's the value Verizon mm -hmm. is bringing, helping yeah. small businesses transform yeah. with broadband connectivity and tools. That's the one I'm most proud of. Then second, you have large enterprises. You know, uh, I think it was Lenin who said there are decades when nothing happens and then where are weeks when decades happen. That's what seemed to have happened as far as digital transformation is. Uh, companies are moving to cloud very fast. Yeah. And then we've been working on the ground floor with them to make that happen. So large enterprises, but small businesses, what I'm really proud of. And do you think there's been, you talk about digitalization there, Sampath, do you think there's been a propulsion of digitalization driven by the pandemic? Do you think it's been a necessity for businesses to embrace digital uh, to, to keep going? I think so. And many companies underinvested the last decade you know, as they came out of the great financial crisis in 2008, they turned their attention elsewhere and many of them underinvested in basic digital work. And it's two types of digital, digital on how you interact with other customers. And then there's digital, how you interact amongst yourself in the company. Both are massively value additive. So I, I, I do think the pandemic literally gave a shock to the system to start getting on it. And there are a couple of things. One is good connectivity. You know, earlier people used to work in an office, you had to secure with cybersecurity and connectivity three, five, 10 locations. Now, if you have 10,000 people, they're working in 10,000 different locations. So the way you think about cybersecurity has changed, the way you think of connectivity has fundamentally changed. So we, we've been leaning into that as an opportunity, but more importantly, making companies move fast. Because mm -hmm. what we want to do as Verizon is, let us take care of your communication and network needs. You focus on serving your customer. You focus on upgrading your stack. You focus on cloud. You focus on SaaS. Let us take care of the network for you. So we call it network as a service, mm -hmm. which is our primary offering in the market. And we have some really big wins in the last year or so around this. Right. Wow. Wow. I'm going to let Liliana ask the next question. So, right. So the race for 5G, this is all the big service providers. Um, what excites you? What excites Verizon on specifically for 5G then? The others don't. Yeah, I, I think the interesting thing for 5G is, look, 5G, there are three fundamental business models in 5G as far as Verizon's concerned. The first is mobility. Uh, every time a new technology happens, Verizon takes share. We know how to do that. And in this case, we've gone and preceded most of the handsets with our C-band as well as a millimeter wave chip way in advance. So typically, you know, it's a chicken and neck problem. Here, we don't have it. The chicken, a.k.a. the network's ready. The egg, a.k.a. the handset, both are ready. So perfect timing for that. We know that business very well. We'll take share. We had a good quarter. We're going to have another good quarter ahead of us. The second business is a new business for us, fixed wireless access. You know, we're going to, we're going to by end of next year or maybe year after that, 50 million homes in America, that's almost half the country, 
will have access to a world-class broadband option. And so just imagine half the country is going to get another broadband player. We could never make the math work on fixed wireless before. Now with the huge swath of spectrum we bought, the math works out for us. So we're going to turn up 30 million homes next year and another 20 million homes here after that. So that's the second business model. And that one is completely incremental to us. We had a great quarter but uh, in Q3, but that's just the beginning of what we want to see. The third business is around mech or mobile edge compute, where we want to bring the power of the cloud and the power of 5G together. And all that magic happens at the edge of the network. Think of it as, you know, if you go back in history, you know, you had the mainframe cycle, then you had the client server cycle, then you have the cloud cycle. Now we are at the edge cycle. Workloads have to be at the edge. They're latency sensitive. People are going to have to rewrite applications for it. And that's our third business. So mobility, take share, fixed wireless access, take, build share, and then build a market in 5G mech. So that's our whole 5G business plan in two minutes, and we are sticking to it. And that's, that's really, really interesting. And, and you mentioned fixed wireless there as kind of the, the, the first demonstrable use case utilizing 5G. And you talk about the, the magic happens at the edge of the network. What, looking forward, which 5G use case excites you the most, particularly in respect to enterprise and, and B2B? Look, I'm going to say it, but I'm confident that I'm going to be wrong. And I'm quite happy doing that. Uh, look, ex cases that excite us today are manufacturing. Because uh, as manufacturing moves back from the east, and now you can see some of the supply chain issues, you're going to see some manufacturing move back. And you're going to see a lot of robotics and automation in factories. So having 5G available in the factories uh, to, you know, to manage the equipment, to move around stuff, both in warehouses. So that's a first use case. Second is healthcare. You know, this country spends way too much time, energy, money on healthcare with not that great outcomes. So we think there's a transformation willing to happen in healthcare, whether it's telehealth, whether it's remote patient monitoring. And the third is just asset tracking in a hospital. You know, one of the cool things about 5G is, you know, we can manage up to a million sensors or devices in a square kilometer. Hang on, I said a million, that wasn't a typo. So <laughs> imagine in a hospital environment, you can track every piece of equipment in real time and get it to the right patient in time. So healthcare, manufacturing, and the last is first responders. You know, uh, look, Verizon has a commitment. We have something called Verizon Frontline. It is our commitment, our brand for uh, first responders. We have huge share in that space is how do you arm first responders with the right data as they go into a fire or they go into an emergency situation? So those are three big use cases we are excited about. But I also know the real killer one is not yet out there and someone's going to make a lot of money on it. I think we're waiting for that one. We're waiting for that one. Let's ask the next question, Liliana. So um, do you see like changes like um, what we see in the industry, right, that the enterprises actually want to have very similar experience to the consumer, right? They want self-service, the digitalization, right? They want to experience in a different way. What is Verizon doing in that front to enlighten the experience with the, and the enterprise and SMB? Yeah, Liliana, you make a great point. You know, enterprise customers actually want consumer-like interfaces. You know, when they want to go to order a phone, it should be as simple as ordering on Amazon or eBay or Shopify. Uh, when they have an issue with uh, you know, a bill, it should be as simple as some of the consumer applications they want. So we're doing two things. One is internally uh, realigning our stacks. 
Look, we are a very large company. You know, the Verizon business group that I run is around 32, $33 billion of revenue. And we have multiple stacks, you know. So step one for us is moving from X billing systems to a much fewer number of billing systems. Now that's internal, that's uh, inside speak for us, but that's the first step. How do we simplify our stack? So there's a lot of work we are investing. We call it business transformation. We have initiatives to go ahead and do that. The second step is exposing that functionality to the customer in a way that's easy for them to understand. So one of the things we want to do is the way we input systems, we want that same thing to be presented to the customer. We don't want two sets of systems because things get lost in translation. So that's one area internally we're doing a lot of work. Second is our digital efforts. You know, people tend to do everything on the phone. They get married on the phone. Uh, you know, they connect through these dating apps on the phone. They buy on the phone. They seem to do everything except buy the phone itself. I don't know why. Yeah, okay? yeah. Yeah, right. So one of our key missions is make people buy the phone in a digital way. So we have enabled digital through our systems. Uh, I have to admit, uh, I wish that moved a little faster along. So there's a lot of pressure on uh, my teams between this year and next year to make digital enablement. And the third is service elements. You know, customers want to be served the way they want to be served. It could be at a store. It could be at a call center. It could be at a chat. It could be through text. I don't care. I want to serve them the way they want to be served. So we've got a lot of efforts going on in this space, but this is one of the top two or three things that we are working on this year and as we get into our planning cycle for next year. And um, you touched on it before, Sam, but I think it's really, really important. It's the element of security. As we go into this IoT world, uh, the, you mentioned a million you know, devices before. This opens up a million different entry points for cyber crooks that are getting cleverer, cleverer craftier, uh, more insidious every day. What's Verizon doing now to tackle the, the security issues that may be fairly significant in the future? Look, Verizon has uh, one of the largest cybersecurity businesses around, and we've had this for a very long time with Cybertrust and uh, companies that we've acquired in the past. You know, one third of the world's internet flows through our network. And as a result, we see things before others see. And we have something called the DBIR, which is our data breach investigation report, which is one of the world's most comprehensive data sets on breaches. A couple of key insights from that. 80% of the breaches that happen happen because of a money motive. You know, people watch a lot of James Bond. I really like the new movie. But it's, it's it, yeah, yeah, it's a great, but most of the things we see are not James Bond type attacks. It's, so it's not, uh, you know, nation states or state actors doing stuff. It's basically criminal enterprise, 80%, eight out of 10. And the second thing is almost half of them, people enter our systems in very simple ways. You know, someone clicks a bad link on an email or click a bad link on chat. So you see a trend here. It's not complex. It's basic hygiene and fundamentals patch, basic security, roll-baked access controls, zero-trust architecture. So we've been doing a lot of work with customers to get them ready for this. Uh, and then when bad things happen, you know, we have a team that goes and remediates things. Uh, and one product I like to talk about is our DDoS shield. One of the big things we see is, you know, denial of service attacks where people basically swarm your site so good traffic can't get in. Uh, we've been so busy on that. And that's one area that has really picked up in the pandemic, our DDoS attacks. So we've got, I think we've got like eight or nine terabits of capacity just to manage those DDoS uh, attacks today. So uh, it's a big business for us. Uh, it's the foundation of what we do in the network. Wow. Wow. So when you think about, again, 5G, it's going to transform a lot of things. So how do you see the next three years? 
Like, I know you talked about the initiatives of fixed wireless and you talked about security. You talked about mobility. But how do you think it's going to change the society and the next few years with this new technology? Yeah, look, this year is probably the most important year. You know, back to chicken and egg. The network will get rolled out really well by the end of this year. We have a C-band coming and, you know, our peers as well are rolling out networks. So I, my sense is by middle of next year, everyone will, you know, there'll be a good coverage of 5G broadly across yeah. the country, not just for Verizon, but our partners and our peers as well to do that. The second area where we're going to see, have to do a lot of work is on fixed wireless. Uh, I mean, half the country having access to a new broadband is unbelievable for a comp- country our size. And to do that in probably in two years, we're going to probably turn it on you know, 30 million next and 20 million soon after that. Uh, it's going to be huge. So that's where our focus is. And how do you make that happen? You know, both from an expert architecture perspective, devices in the home, what type of services we do? Because America needs better broadband. And so is it a true competition now with the cable providers? Oh yeah, we are head on. <laughs> we, we, are, we are going head on. You know, it, look... Get into a little of a sales pitch. You know, it's just a highly reliable. Uh, just reliability is higher. Uh, it's you know, it's architected on a wireless network, which just has a much greater precision and level of engineering. So we're going to compete head on with the cable operators. We know it. They know it. And look, we are frenemies. You know. And the third for us is how do you build a market in mech? That's for me, Liana, the most important thing for society. What are the use cases that's going to benefit society next couple of years? And, you know, we've partnered with system integrators. You know, we partner with companies like yourself and Amdocs. We are going to have to unlock the ecosystem. But my biggest takeaway for 5G is it's not a carrier game. It's an ecosystem play. Carriers have to enable it. We have to nurture it. We have to feed into it. We have to manage it. Uh, but it's an ecosystem play. And Every provider who's come to the Mobile World Congress will have something to do with 5G. The question is, how do they want to get in? Do they want to get in early or not? And I think what you said there, Sampath, going head on with the cable providers. To me, studying this industry for many, many years, this race to 5G that is on right now is the most fascinating business battle we've seen of, of recent years, for sure. I know there's a lot of noise coming from T-Mobile, so the C-band auction where you came out of that fantastically well from, from a spectrum perspective. Where do you think Verizon is positioned in that race to 5G and what do you have to, to be the winner? Yeah, look on the C-band auction, we cleaned it out. You know, there's a technical term for it, I'm sure that my lawyers will tell you, but we cleaned it out. You know, we put $53 billion on the table and basically took everything we wanted. Uh, there was nothing there that we didn't like. Uh, so for us, where... Our competitive differentiation is very simple. We are the most reliable network. Look, at the end of the day, we are a network company. We are so proud of it. You know, we don't want to win an Emmy. We don't want to win a Grammy. We want to win the best network award every single year. Second is, you know, you come for the network, you stay for the customer service. You know, we won the JD Power a Small Business Award uh, Congratulations. last Congratulations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We so were... You're in Aparna, right? I saw it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Aparna and Wendy did a really right. nice job there. So... Our thesis is very simple. You come for the network, it's a reliable network, and then you have massive speeds, and then you stay for the customer service. And then on top, we add services that are just relevant to you. You know, for example, on a consumer side, we're one of the largest platforms. Like if you buy our packages, you get Disney Plus, you get Discovery Plus included in the package. Great, just my kids, very distracted, but that's for another day. 
just a great entertainment package. On the enterprise side, you know, whether it's security packages, whether it's business builder packages, how do we do it on top of that? So our differentiator is very simple. Best network with the best service. And that's what we want to do. Look, it's a very competitive landscape. We like that. We like that because customers win. It puts our game up as well. Uh, we, we love this environment. And look, we are going to win. And we've committed to the network, you know, with the millimeter wave network and then with a C-band network and then our mid-band. Uh, we've just got so much capacity that we are throwing at this problem. And going, just changing gears a little bit, we spoke with Tammy Irwin on The Great Indoors oh, back in April. We had a great conversation with her. One of the things that really impressed me and, and, and bowed me over as well was the whole Citizen Verizon initiative and some of the things that she was passionate about, uh, particularly around diversity and inclusion um, and bridging the digital divide. Do you think Verizon, um, more than ever, is a, a pivotal part of the society and the communities it serves? And on, on which of those things are you most passionate about, Sampath? Yeah, look, we have four stakeholders. Uh, and whenever we do our monthly ops review with our chairman, Hans Westberg, we go through our commitment to the four stakeholders, employees, shareholders, customers, and society. And we know that balance and, you know, the pandemic, we've kind of shown how we can be a balanced player on that. A couple of areas we like, look, the first one for us is digital divide. There's still a large number of people here in America who don't have access to broadband. And my worry is they'll get left behind as learning happens over broadband, remote learning, they will get left behind. So we are committed to closing that gap. And, you know, we are working with the, the government on underserved and unserved areas to close that gap on for us. Second is, uh, you know, start getting to carbon neutral. Uh, given our size and scale of our network, our fleet, uh, you know, we want to get to carbon neutral by 2030. Right. So it's a huge, huge commitment from us that, you know, we are super excited about. The third is reskilling youth. Uh, we, we, we feel... Uh, in new technologies around data, business analytics, digital, we're going to have to reskill a large number of people. We think up to 10 million people we would want to be part of reskilling. So those are our three big initiatives on, with society. And we take it as seriously as we do our core business. You know, we have operations review. We are held accountable for scorecards. We measure it. At Verizon, we measure every single thing. So we measure our progress against this. So again, just to recap, you know, reskilling, digital divide, and carbon neutrality. So those are our three big societal efforts, and uh, we're super committed to it. Look, the overall umbrella is called Citizen Verizon because we are a part of the broader society and we want to be a source of good. Yeah. Um, and maybe just one more thing. And what about the remote areas, right? I think with the C-band acquisition, right, and uh, fixed wireless, you probably want to reach out, right, to the remote areas are underserved to some degree, right? Yeah, look, it, it's, a, it's a very good question, Liliana, because uh, that, that's the power of fixed wireless. We can get to areas that fiber and cable does not make sense. And it doesn't make sense just from a math perspective. The loop lengths are really long. So we can get there through fixed wireless. And we are quite excited about that. In fact, we're seeing a lot of traction in those markets you know, our consumer groups launched the, you know, our, our fixed wireless effort. We're seeing a lot of traction. Of course, look, millimeter wave does well in the cities, but we have our LTE network, which is better than 5G in many cases, given the engineering levels we've put into that. So uh, that's a huge source of opportunity for us. And then look, I'll jump into another announcement. You know, we made an announcement this morning, Project Kuiper with Amazon. Uh, 
They're a Leo low Earth orbiting satellite. They're, they're going to put 3,286 birds up in the sky. Uh, we are their uh, partner, their collaboration partner, their strategic partner, their go-to-market partner. So one of the other initiatives there is to get broadband to rural America. Wonderful. No, that's great. And one question, uh, and we're coming to the end now, Sampa, I've really enjoyed our conversation, but it's something I ask every guest when we do the Great Indoors podcast over the, you know, over the, over the internet. What have you, apart from being at this event and meeting us, what have you done recently that's felt like a return to normalcy and has given you some joy? You know, I actually went for a game. Uh, I went for uh, two games. I went for the uh, NFL kickoff in Tampa mostly to check out the Verizon network there, uh, 5G ultra-wideband network. I think we've invested almost $80 million in that stadium in Tampa, so we went to check it out. Great game. Uh, went on till very late. I was, it went on till past midnight. I was uh, almost asleep then. Uh, the second game was US Open. You know, me and my wife like tennis, and this year uh, we actually went. We got vaccinated. They checked us. We wore masks where we could. Uh, we actually went out and saw, you know, and saw a game. The last one is I'm starting to see customers in person. I miss that. Uh, we are a customer-centric company. You know, as much as we like our own internal process, we want to be in front of customers. So I feel like I've done three things that are as close to normal. My kids want me to take them for a movie. One of them isn't vaccinated, so we're going to be a little careful. But I'm hoping by the end of the year, we do a family movie for Christmas. Oh, well, that sounds great. And I, as you can probably tell from my accent, I'm British. I believe you're a big cricket supporter sampath is that correct uh yes that would be accurate yeah yes. so are you looking forward to getting back to cricket as soon as you can travel again oh definitely definitely though i have to admit uh, you know folks who follow cricket india had a very very poor performance this weekend uh so i'm licking my wounds a little bit uh, <laughs> but i do hope to uh get back and uh you know get back uh, i didn't see much cricket this summer every summer i try and go out and watch a few games but uh, i can't wait to do that wonderful great well I think that's it. I think I've really enjoyed our conversation, Sampa. Thank you very much for being our inaugural face-to-face -face guest on The Great Indoors here in LA. And I hope you have a great week. Hey, thank you all so much. Thank you so much for being here. You're opening uh, the entire event here for us. So it's a pleasure. It's thank going to be so a much. great event. There's a lot of energy in the air here. I can feel it. So all the best. And I'll bump into you in the halls. <laughs> Definitely. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Sampa. Thank you, Liliana. So our next guest um, on The Great Indoors today is Xavier Rocoplan. Xavier is um, the CTO of Millicom. Um, and actually, what's really interesting about this particular... Oh, first of all, welcome, Xavier. Thank you, Matthew. Yes, and what I think is going to be interesting about this particular episode is typically we always focus on North America and North American customers, but obviously Millicom is, is south of the... Uh, the equator, as it were, or, or south of the continent. Call it a different color. Yeah. Do <laughs> <laughs> the same conversation. And I'm also joined by Liliana uh, Schwarzbrunner, who's co-hosted several podcasts with me, okay? So uh, welcome as well, Liliana. Hello, and pleasure to be here. Okay. So let's get going. So um, thank you for joining, uh, Xavier. Give us and our listeners um, a, a quick overview of Millicom, your role, uh, and what's happening where you are. 
So perfect. So I uh, I have the privilege to represent a great company. Actually, has been operating in uh, in emerging markets for more than 30 years. Believe it or not, it's a long time. It's like forever in our industry. And uh, what we do is uh, uh, essentially telecom telecommunication services uh, in in uh, in emerging markets, mostly Latin America these days. So anything from uh, mobile services to uh, broadband uh, fixed services these days, mostly. Uh, of course, television on top of it, and uh, you know, for B two C and B two B customers, uh, both both uh, buckets of customers, if you will. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, my role is uh, I'm Group CTIO. Actually, I have uh, the privilege to run three verticals: uh, networks, obviously, IT as well, uh, and uh, not the least, uh, procurement and supply chain. So, which is a very interesting construct, which is part of our secret sauce, actually. Wow! 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 And how does it feel to be back? A face-to-face event. Is this the first one you've attended since? It is indeed, actually. No, it's great to uh, to see uh, real people, uh, yeah. and uh, I think everybody's enjoying it. I can tell. You know, I think we've we've missed that for way too long. Yeah. And and what have you seen or heard today that you found really interesting or or even surprising? Um, yeah, to be honest, I I feel. Um, uh, even more mission driven than we usually are because, uh, you know, I keep hearing things that uh, uh, are completely connected with what we're trying to do. We, uh, you know, we, we build uh, what we call these digital uh, highways uh, in, in our markets. And, you know, everything I can see is, uh, you know, we have a role to play behind. So I feel even more proud, uh, you know, of, of doing what we do. And, and to represent, uh, hopefully, to be a good ambassador of all the great people that we have on our teams actually building the digital highways that, that, that will land all these great things that I keep hearing about. And, and you, uh, you've spoken today, you've delivered a keynote, right, in the um, disruptive innovation track. Can you give us a quick overview or synopsis of, of, of what you talked about there? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I, I was first, actually, because I um, I mean, my message is that, uh, you know, at Tigo uh, Millicom, we're really building the foundations of uh, anything you can imagine on top of it. And I, and I think that was a great sequence in, in the keynote. So, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm really proud of representing, uh, you know, Latin America here. Uh, it, it was really important for us to be here uh, because, you know, I, I have... Essentially, we are the messengers of all these great technologies, making sure that they land in our markets. And I think in that keynote, is, is the sequence was right. You know, we are, we're building the foundations and there are a lot of services that are coming on top of what we do. Um, I mean, the, the recent, uh, you know, pandemic history has uh, yeah, even more proven, proven that our, our mission is, is, is really fundamental. And, and uh, you know, so that's, that, that's basically my takeaway. Well, and, and one thing we've... We've talked about several times today and several times over the, the series is the race to 5G and particularly in the United States the you know the, with the C-band auction leveling up the um, the spectrum between Verizon and T-Mobile and AT&T this race is on now to not just cover uh, uh, the nation in, in in 5G coverage but also to come up with the innovative 5G use cases that have been talked about and prophesized for many years so this is all happening now in the US I live in Canada at a slightly different pace things like what's happening in um, in Latin America now as far as 5G has the race started and if not when do you expect it to get underway so nobody has really sparked the fire yet I would say uh, which is great because uh, you know there are a lot of foundations uh, uh, behind 5G for 5G to be meaningful um, so it's actually great that more advanced markets are taking the lead if you will 
Uh, I mean, uh, I, I usually say that we are the smart followers, you know. Uh, I mean, uh, once technology is a little bit more mature, we are extremely fast adopter. And, and we are in that phase of preparation to, to welcome uh, 5G, I would say. Remember that, um, you know, um, our penetration of 4G is only 78% of the population where we operate still. So, and, and 4G on the radio access side has been benefiting a lot from the 5G discussions, actually. So 4G is getting better by the day. Um, uh, the real change behind 5G is more, you know, core, edge, uh, transport. And these things take time. So, I mean, it's great for us because uh, as we push our mobile and, and broadband agenda, we actually prepare very well for these enablers. We even build our own, uh, you know, hybrid cloud now. Um, and when the time comes, which is probably more regulatory matter than technology, to be honest, yeah. uh, uh, we will, uh, I am sure, be extremely fast with adoption like we've always been doing for the last 30 years now. No, and I, it's, it's really interesting to hear. I think one of the things was the genesis of this podcast was looking at over the last 18 months how society really relied on technology to achieve some level of i wouldn't say normality but just some level of existence right and we looked uh, we talked about telemedicine in in the united states we talked about remote education which you know everybody who has children has had to suffer and endure and learn over the last 18 months from a latin perspective from a latin american perspective what's been the biggest societal issue that Millicom or indeed just technology has helped bridge over the last 18 months? It's, it's a great question. You know, uh, to be honest, in our company, we're used to weather any type of crazy situation by the nature of the markets where we operate. Um, last year was not any different in a way, but I, I would start with even more basic connectivity. You know, we've never felt so important last year. Uh, at the time where, I mean, things were gridlocked a little bit everywhere. That was the same in Latin America as well. And uh, to be honest, having all of us at Tigo never felt so important and valued uh, by, you know, by the societies, the communities where we, we operate. Um, and uh, uh, we were the link uh, for education. We were the link for many companies. Uh, it's the only thing that was remaining, really. So I, I would really start with connectivity. You know, I, I know it sounds boring, but it, it starts there, in my opinion. And then um, um, I would say my... My takeaway from the previous period was the, the speed at which, uh, you know, uh, digital services were adopted, even for us. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we've been on a long journey for, for quite a while now, but the acceleration of adoption has been fantastic. I mean, we, we gained a few years, which, which is fantastic because for us, it's, uh, uh, it, it creates uh, more scale more rapidly, it creates efficiencies, and at the end of the day, that frees a lot of resources for us to go penetrate these markets even further. So, you know, I, I, that's the way I would start with connectivity and then the acceleration of digital adoption, which is probably not any different than what you see in other markets, actually. I mean, the world definitely stood on, you know, st stepped on the tech accelerator, right, over the last 18 months. That propulsion of digital adoption is unprecedented, right? Like you said, we vaulted forward, I think it was in some areas, 12 years in a matter of months as far as what we, you know, what we expected to see. So what are you seeing as very popular in LATAM right now from that sort of digital side. So, you know, we saw a democratization of uh, digital banking, basically, in, in the United States as people had to do that. We, we talked about education. What was like the, the, one of those big areas that vaulted forward in LATAM? And of course, it may be different from country to country, of course. In, in 
Yeah, I, I was about to say it's probably a mix of uh, of, of answers. To be honest, uh, I mean, uh, one of the things we know we've been used a lot for was education. Uh, you know, kids were at home and somehow they had to remain in touch with their schools and etc. So um, that was a big part of the mandate, as I call it, for, mm-hmm. for last year. Um, we we have a very interesting footprint for mobile financial services as well. You may you may know that story in Paraguay in particular, or even in Tanzania. Um, and and uh, to a smaller extent in the other markets, that that has been also uh, you know a big development. I'm sure you heard the story about uh, El Salvador uh, pushing Bitcoin. You know uh, mm-hmm. yes. that, that that was part of the, that stream as well. Um, and then uh, on the B2B side as well. I mean, people uh, you know we always think about uh, the B2C and, and the, the community, so to speak. But on B2B, you know, with SMEs. Um, we felt we had a huge role to play. You know, for a lot of small companies, it was not easy to manage the, this time. So we uh, we've seen a lot of uh, interesting development there as well. So that, that that's what's coming to my mind when you ask that question. <laughs> that's no difference from US, right? We saw that need uh, here as well. So what what did you do specifically for the SMBs? Um, I guess, uh, again, uh, I mean, it was uh, about connectivity, uh, self-provisioning, and, uh, you know, it was a way also to accelerate all sorts of uh, services, you know, uh, I mean, hosting, and, and, and actually it expedited a few uh, a few transformations for the SMEs as well, where, you know, people were a bit more relaxed about having uh, some of their workloads hosted somewhere else. Uh, so I think that that has been the, the, the big change there. And, and then... Uh, uh, I mean, everybody was forced to work online one way or the other. So, you know, we were the natural recipient for that as well. And, and you know, it, it's a very natural extension for us from our B2C offering in reality. Uh, I mean, it's called B2B, but a lot of the of these players are actually, uh, they are family businesses. And it's hard to, even for us sometimes, to make the difference between, uh, you know, uh, an SME account or, or a family. Do you see anything special about, like, everything that happened on the enterprise front, not only the SMB side? So uh, that that actually, uh, it really triggered, I mean, last year really triggered um, um, for us uh, a totally different way to look at B2B uh, and... and uh, um, around three verticals mostly, you know, B2B was a very big portfolio of different things for us across all the markets. And uh, it's probably not any different, but we decided to really refocus on, on three verticals from, uh, you know, uh, connectivity, cloud and security and, and really go for a massive industrialization now on these three verticals. So uh, actually, maybe ironically, we, we shrunk the portfolio quite a lot and we've accelerated the transformation or we are accelerating the transformation in B2B. Uh, as I would say, uh, the, the, the crisis was a trigger there. You know, I think everybody realized that you have to be more digital, more agile, uh, more agile. I hate to use that word, but that's what it is, you know, in some shape or form. It looks like the, the universe came together because you see the same thing, right? Yeah. Everything you're saying here is absolutely applicable to, to U.S. as well, right? The same issues. That's, that's why, I say, you know, yeah. we, we technically operate in emerging markets, but uh, they, uh, what's emerging is only the name. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you would not feel a, a big difference, I, I, I assume. Uh, to some extent, you know, uh, some of the things are... You know, adopted a bit faster because there is hardly any alternative. So you know, and, and that's what we've been doing for a long time at, at, at Melicom and Tigo. Uh, and where there's a good opportunity like that, and uh, you know, uh, I mean, that's where the, the the organization can readjust. And um, so, you, do you think maybe this event or is a milestone for Melicom? When will you be getting back on a plane again and heading south? 
Uh, actually, probably next week or the week after, at the latest, uh, we're going to start a little bit of sightseeing again. Uh, which uh, and, and to be honest, we miss that. I think... Uh, uh, sure you relate to the same thing it's great all this remote work etc because i think everybody learned that it was possible to manage a lot of things uh, and and you know uh, we're a lot of opinions out there that maybe uh, we're not agreeing with that or to that um uh, but we've also learned now that uh, you know 18 months into this thing that um we we need contacts we need to you know we need these team moments in my opinion so i think uh, you know uh, going for an hybrid mode is is uh, it's coming back, and I think it's great because the idea, at least for us, what we're going to try to do is to really make the best of both worlds, you know. And, mm-hmm. So I guess it, it, when we try and look at the positives and the, that have come out of the pandemic, and of course it's been a horrific eighteen months, but I think that new way of thinking, that new way of working, the hybrid world is has has been really. I mean, it's great to be at home and work at home and be with your kids and see them every day. It's also great to be back here and networking, meeting people, sharing ideas. And it's but having that balance because pre-pandemic, a lot of people did a lot of traveling. A lot of people did a lot of events. Well, I'll, I'll be a little bit more blunt. I, I'm a great believer that, you know, hard channels are really good. And, you know, when you remote uh, work, so to speak, you have a, you're mostly on hard channels. You know, you need to book a time with somebody to talk mm-hmm. about something. But losing completely the soft channels is is um, a little bit difficult. Uh, and, you know, uh, when you know the people and we used to work together and uh, that's fine, you know. Uh, but after a while, you lose a little bit of that uh, corridor creativity that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think it's time that we get back there. And this event is a great opportunity to achieve that. I've bumped in uh, many, uh, you know, colleagues in the industry that I didn't think I would actually meet anytime soon. And uh zillion of things uh, you know coming through our mind when we so it's it's a great opportunity and then i'm so happy and glad that uh, that tigo and uh, you know all our countries are represented here because uh we're not we're not technology laggers actually uh, we are extremely fast adopter like i've mentioned and, and what excites you most about what 5g or the new industrial edge uh, the new industrial revolution or edge compute all those pieces that come together symbiotically to create what we're going to see moving forward. What's the piece that, or, or what's the use case or the outcome that excites you the most looking forward? I mean, if you have that re- the, re- the response to the use case question, I'm interested, is uh, my first answer. Right. Yeah. Um, but my, uh, no, what really excites me is actually the, uh, the talent adventure, to tell the truth, because, you know, uh, technology, they come and they go, uh, but uh, the common denominator, denominator for us all these years have been the, the human element, you know. Uh, I mean, uh, we have a unique uh, attribute in our company, which is, you know, the people who work for Tigo, they make a difference for their family and their community in a true sense, you know, because uh, our brand is really big and people know that we're the backbone of a lot of these things, or the activities happening in these countries. So um, all these technology changes actually give us a huge responsibility, which is... Uh, um, you know, upskilling uh, the, the, the people we have out there. And, and to be honest, uh, that's what I love about the company and all my 20 plus years now at, at Tigo is it's a human adventure, you know. Uh, and uh, there's so much now that uh, is out there that you can tap into. Uh, and, and, you know, that connects very well with what we're trying to do. I think beyond the, uh, the technology changes, etc., is a human element, right? We'll have to... 
uh, get people to adopt these new skills, to you know, uh, really uh, get the creativity, uh, the innovation out there. And uh, our markets are very interesting problem to solve, you know. And innovation at the end of the day mostly comes from problems you're trying to solve in one way or the other. So um, I think uh, that, that's what excites me at least. And I think you, you raised something really cool there, Xavier. When we've spoken with Telefonica, Vodafone, obviously in Europe and, and Verizon um, and T-Mobile in the United States, that is almost an inherent obligation now to the communities that, that, that those companies serve, right? As far as the well-being of, um, of those communities addressing some of the issues. Um, which particular issue that may have been blown up or, or amplified during the pandemic is one that Millicom and, and Tigo is looking to and I'll give you some examples just to put it in context. Obviously, Bell in Canada uh, focused very heavily on mental health with their Let's Talk initiative. We spoke with Sampath earlier on Verizon. They're very focused on their citizen Verizon and bridging the digital divide. Uh, we know that uh, T-Mobile have their project 10 million, where again, they're looking at similar things. Is there a particular thing from uh, from your side? Uh, I was about to answer. I mean, to me, it would be digital inclusion uh, more than ever. I mean, uh, we, we've seen last year, I mean, we went from uh, all that digital products, you know, they were essentially a few products we're trying to push out there, not tactically is the wrong word, but uh, to a, a, a true digital first model. So um, uh, I think it's been last year was a huge accelerator, like I mentioned, to bridge that gap uh, even further. So uh, and, and to some extent, uh, you know, we have this uh, financial arm, you know, uh, mobile financial services arm in the organization. So uh, financial inclusion as well for us is is really important because you know we operate in mostly unbanked economies. So I would say the, these two things: digital and financial inclusion. And and it's really what we do. We're ex extremely lucky to be so uh, mission driven, purpose driven company. You know, uh, we we have a direct impact on things on the way things happen in our markets. So I think these would be the two points. Okay, so that's great. Now, we're nearing the end now. And one question, or just one thing I ask all our guests, just as COVID is in retreat and we're starting to feel some normality returning, what have you done recently, just on a personal or a business level, that's given you the feeling that, oh, maybe apart from this event, of course, um, that uh, gives you the feeling that, uh, that's given you some joy and giving you a feeling of normalcy again? I went back to school. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no, I mean, this, I think we all left, I mean, we, we lived in a high-speed train, you know, quite a few months in a row. I mean, I, I, it really felt for me like three years in, in one uh, last year, and I'm pretty sure everybody around, around here relate to that because we had to reconfigure the business at least three times, uh, you know, which is uh, way beyond the normal budget cycle. And um, um, I think we all... You know, we got into this without uh, any step back for a long time. And uh, so a little bit personal, but I think also for the sake of everybody working with me, uh, I think taking a step back is something I recommend to, <laughs> yeah. to everybody because we've all been a little bit more stretched than maybe sometimes we realize. So um, I, I, I think it was it's a good moment to do that, to reflect as, you know, as we get started again with our, with our crazy lives. Well, look. Uh I think that was great. Listen, I've really enjoyed speaking to you uh, today, Xavier. Thank you, Liliana, for joining me. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you very much, Xavier. We'll speak to you again very soon. No, thanks for, for making the time. I'm really glad to be here.
So my next guest on the great indoors at uh, MWC LA 2021 is Peter Jarrick. Peter is the head of GSMA Intelligence. Peter, welcome to the great indoors. It's great to be here. Thanks. Yeah. And, you know, we're coming to the end of the show now. It's the first show. Every person I've interviewed this week is pretty much their first time back out in 18 months meeting people. How's the show been for you? Uh, I think it's been really good. Uh, I mean, expectations were across you know various different expectations, but I think it's a bit of what you said, getting out, seeing people, and recognizing the value of seeing people, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the value of meeting people you plan to meet, right? And then those you didn't. And just the way you, for me, it's about just being present, right? Because I think uh, the value of the last 18 months and the way we've moved virtually, it's been great. And I could consume so much content. I always have some conference, some virtual event on in the background. It's on the second monitor. It's great. You can consume so much. Am I always fully present for those things? Not necessarily. Mm -hmm. When I'm sitting in an audience... And there's a presentation in front of me and there's an engaging set of content with people that are in front of me, so much more present. Yeah, and I absolutely. think that that value is something that uh, I think I think I'd forgotten, um, yeah. but I think a lot of us had. Yeah. And I think, you know, for us as well, meeting people, being present, having that conversation, but people are accessible. They're happy to meet. They've got smiles on their faces. They've got stories to tell. So it's a great time to be back and to have those conversations. Exactly. And, and so... Given some of the keynotes this week, uh, given some of the things that you've seen, uh, Peter, what's really stood out for you? If you had, say you had three takeaways, what would they be from this week? Yeah, I think one is that the show has still maintained what a lot of people look to it for, which is this focus on the nuts and bolts of how do we make things like networks work, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you've seen the announcements coming out for, from Rocketen and what they're doing and the partnerships that they're building. You saw some you know, good stuff from VMware. You saw some good stuff from Samsung. The networks, there was a lot of network stuff, and I think people uh, traditionally have sort of seen that as being, being a big focal point. So that's still there. I think, too, is that in a very unforced way, I think we saw what the mobile industry has been promising, which is pulling together disparate parts of society in different verticals. I mean, Absolutely. I, I, yeah. I look back to the day one keynote, right? And, and I'm not sure he intended to have it make these connections to mobile, but, you know, Mayor Garcetti, when he came out and talked about L.A. is the entertainment capital of the U.S., the manufacturing capital, the transport capital, I'm sure he gives that message all around the world not just to a wireless audience, but you could see sort of the audience going, right, and, and as a mobile industry, we want to be present in manufacturing and in entertainment and what you can do in venues with 5G, and we want to be part of the transformation of ports, and we are part of the transformation of ports. And then Sam Path followed up following uh, Mayor Garcetti later on in that keynote, talking a bit about, from a Verizon perspective, what they're doing with ports, not just in the U.S., but outside the U.S., and you saw some of the work that, again, Verizon was doing there and, you know, pulling those stories together about how, and it was, again, not forced. It, yeah. wasn't, it wasn't Mayor Garcetti going, yay, Mobile, you guys are doing a great job. It was, these are important to us as a city. And like, oh, and by the way, this is, like, we're focused on the right things. We're in the right place. Yeah. And I think you, t- you said something there, Peter, that I've really picked up on this week. And, it, and it's been something that we've focused on in the last 18 months with this podcast. But that is society. 
right? I think a lot of what not just the service providers are doing, but the vendors are doing, and 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 is is thinking of the societies they serve, and thinking of use cases, and thinking not just about how do we make more dollars, but how do we make life better for the communities we serve, and some of the problems that the pandemic have thrown up. We talk about the ports. How do we solve those new problems that we're facing as a, as, as a civilization? Hundred percent, I think. You asked for sort of three takeaways, and I'd come back to that for the third takeaway, which is ultimately society, we can talk about society in terms of you know, all the different verticals we need to serve, but society is ultimately made up of people. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing that I saw here, which, which was really encouraging, was a focus on, on people, meaning not just you know, the, the consumer services that we're talking about, but how do we bring in new conversations how do we bring in new people to keep the industry innovative, to keep it interesting? And I just, um, I ran a panel at the end of the day uh, of analysts. So again, uh, I operate as the internal analyst team at GSMA. And for me, I think I've always seen at, at events, analysts are great moderators. And I said, look, I'd really like to see analyst views represented and brought someone from the industry. They, they moderated, asked a bunch of analyst questions, including myself. And one of the questions was, what didn't we hear enough about here? And from my perspective, I think what we didn't hear enough about, not because we didn't try as an event, but because necessarily it it was not as buzzworthy as some stuff, was just all the cool stuff around around people, right? I mean, we we had a bunch of, and Mayor Garcetti talked about this in the keynote, they brought a bunch of young people from LA to walk around and see all the cool industries. Why? Because we need those people and we need those views and we need them engaged, right? There was a Open RAN summit yesterday. I heard lots of great things. There was a women in Open RAN making that connection of here's some great new faces, here's some real... And I think we don't value that enough. And it's important, you know, right before I did that analyst panel, we did a session on retail and, and we brought in Krista from Verizon, who heads up, uh, heads up retail for, for Verizon. Mm-hmm. And, and she just did an incredible job about talking about how... She needs to bring in new people with new skill sets. And I think it was encouraging to see, even if it's not buzzworthy and it's not in the media, that focus on people and recognizing that people are going to be critical to keeping this industry going and innovative. And, uh, and, and I think we did a good job with that here. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And here's, a, here's another thing that I think, and I'd, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this, Peter, is and definitely evident at this event is collaboration. I, I see so much more, not just collaboration, but a willingness to collaborate. Well, every, everybody we've had in here, they're partnering with somebody else. We, we had several podcasts that we recorded with members of the 5G Open Innovation Lab, which ourselves is, is a part of as well. But do you see that, those willingness now to bring this broader ecosystem together and for all those players to collaborate? Yeah, so I think it's always been there. I think, I think there's always been an interest in, in collaboration you know, to some extent, I think it may be a consequence of the fact that for 18 months, we slowed down a bit, right? It, it wasn't just the, I'm off to this event and off to this event, and now I do this, and, and it's wonderful. And, you know, I was at, at MWC uh, earlier the year in June, and it was great, obviously a smaller event. But, mm-hmm. you know, people would always talk about it. As soon as they're done with one, they start planning for the next. And, yeah. and it is this constant sort of, I know what I'm doing, I continue doing what I'm doing, to some extent, I think for a lot of folks, the pandemic was a chance to rethink things and maybe build some of those collaborations that, you know, I always meant to do that. 
now maybe I've got some time and, and what can we do now that we're, we're sort of taking a breather? But you're at 100%. I think some of those collaborations between different industries, um, which is good because it helps people sort of see what we can do. I mean, I, I wasn't here. Someone was saying Caesar Milan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you're a dog owner, you probably know who he is, Dog Whisperer. Like, he was here launching a product. And that sort of collaboration right, with yeah, the folks yeah. at Core was like, that's really cool, right? Yeah, yeah. And those kind of collaborations, I think, one, are important for the industry. But then again, two, helping get people excited about what we're doing. No, absolutely. And going back to your point there, when we look at when we look at the pandemic and we look at how technology has had a rebrand, right? And as, as prior to the pandemic, children are spending too much time on their devices. They're spending too much time on social media. You know, all of these negative connotations. But then when the pandemic happened, technology had a rebrand as far as I was concerned. It was the glue that held society together. Um, and, and I think that when Mayor Garcetti, he brought all the children from the, um, the Career Academy in L.A., here and we had a chat with them how going back to your point on people um uh peter to speak to these young people that have been the most affected by the pandemic that gen z demographic cohort has been the one that suffered the most from the uh, educational perspective the mental health perspective um to bring them here and for us to have an opportunity to speak to them and obviously the mayor was, but that for me was just such a highlight, really such a highlight going back to, you know, the point on people, really amazing. Yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, I'm of two minds about that. I, I'm a completely with you that I think that's so important. And I don't think we fully appreciate all the stories. Now people are impacted, right? Like, and, and so I think hearing those stories, that's important, right? And I think it's part of the value of getting out, mm-hmm. right? Part of the value of getting out is hearing those stories. I mean, there, there's, there's a, story that dick clark would uh, would use to tell when people would say you know dick clark how how do you have the pulse of america and like how do you always know he's like i go to the mall i hang out with people and and unless you experience that and so i think part of the value here is seeing those stories yeah. understanding where those those young people are but then the flip side is because because ultimately this is a show about getting back to business and so it's nice right but there's also a business aspect too. We need to understand those people to understand the experiences to deliver for those young folks, the experiences that we need as an industry to be delivering to help monetize service demand in the future, but then also to engage them because again, we need those people in our industries. We can't just keep having the same people in the same conversations, the same cocktail parties with the same people collaborating with each other who, oh yeah, that makes sense. That's a great story. I was thinking that, well, yeah, because we're all the same. Right? We need those new voices. And so that, that's why I was happy to see the Career Academy here. Mm-hmm. No, no, that's great. That's perfect. Now let's talk technically. Let's talk. Whenever I, I used to attend Barcelona in the past, um, and, or, or even this event, there would always be one technological talking point or undercurrent that would, I wouldn't say define the show, but people would leave with that in, in their brain. What do you think that is in this particular event this time, Peter? Yeah, I would say I've had so many conversations, particularly around, around Open RAN. Okay. Uh, and that's probably not the first one to say that. I know I'm coming at the end of the number of these that, that, that you've run. But mm-hmm. Open RAN has really been such a topic, uh, in part because it's been a topic for the entire industry, but because you see some, some real momentum from a lot of innovators here in North America. Uh, and the number of people who I said you know, really got a lot out of that open RAN summit that was run because it's so critical. And I think we, you know, one of the values 
of being sort of the internal analyst arm for, for the GSMA is, is that great access to insights for, from all the operators in the world. And so when we went and talked to them earlier in the year and said, you know, you've got 5G, you see 5G as an impetus, as a, as a, 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 a leverage for launching open networking technologies, including open RAN, 70-some percent said yes, right? The yeah. number that said no was like 7%, right? Right. So I think operators, they see 5G as an opportunity to do things differently, and Open RAN is at the top of that list. Right. Cool. And so what do you think moving forward now? This event is almost done. Um, we're going into the new year. Barcelona is on the horizon. Everybody's been speaking already about Barcelona. This feels like a nice, you know, a nice warm-up for that obviously much larger event. How do you think that's going to play out? Yeah, so... I- I think we'll hear a continuation of a lot of the stories from here, right? From a technology perspective, we'll continue to hear about Open RAN. We'll continue about Telco Cloud. It was one of the focuses here. Did a lot of great work with edge networking. I think we know those technical technical initiatives. I think in the near term, what's going to happen next is we're going to hear a lot more about sustainability. And that was one of the things I heard some people say, mm-hmm. you know, they expected to see sustainability as a bigger focus of the event. And maybe they didn't hear as much as they expected. And I would say, from my perspective, that's probably a consequence of the fact that we're on the cusp, we're on the eve of COP, right? The the, the UN climate program is coming up, right? We've got that coming up. Uh, From a media perspective and what people are doing, there's a lot more to come, right? And so I think that, that we will hear more of that just over next week, right? And we're doing a lot of work at GSM Intelligence. We're doing a lot of work with customers. That's been great. And that's a story that will continue up through MWC in Barcelona. And then the other thing that I think we'll hear, and, and people will roll their eyes, and I apologize, is 6G. Oh, right? okay. That, that, that we are there with 5G. We've gotten past the idea that when we arrive at a 5G era, we know that it's here, and people naturally look to what's next. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, is, that will be another topic beyond all the, the rest of the technical side of things. And then, of course, I hope we will continue to talk about the people side of things. One of the values that... that you know, the the GSMA and, and MWC events bring is pulling together that global view. And so I think we saw a really good piece of that that people aspect here. And again, with the Career Academy, and I'm glad you, you had a chance to talk with, with that team. We'll see that again in Barcelona and more of a global stage because that's so critical. And, and here's, uh, from a North American perspective, um, obviously the race is... 5G is on in the US with the C-band auction leveling up sort of uh, more of the, the spectrum for, for Verizon and AT&T to go head-to-head with T-Mobile. You know, that race is on. It's very much a marketing race. Okay, They're, they're very much uh, marketing their network uh, coverage and, and, and rollout. But do you believe North America and more specifically the United States is ahead of the rest of the world in making that really a reality uh, and do you think that will be something that we take into Barcelona and say, hey, look, look what Verizon are doing. Look what T-Mobile are doing. What's your perspective on, on, on where U.S. is versus the rest of the world right now? Yeah, and, and it's a really great question because this topic of the race to 5G is, um, it's it, frankly a, a sexy one, right? And, and, mm. I, and I get it this. Is. I'm as... You know, I, I'm as guilty of this as anyone, particularly when, I, you know, when I'm putting together a set of presentation slides, I like putting sort of this versus that and this versus that. And we like this idea of you know, races and battles and competitions. The risk is, well, there's two risks. One, there's the risk of just people seeing through that. It's not real. 
you know, the, the, the U.S. carriers are not competing with the Chinese carriers or with the European carriers. They have different markets and they're not. So this race to 5G is to some extent not a real thing. But two, there's a risk that if we play that up, you get people sort of competing in a way to maybe do things on a technical level that differentiates them, that breaks down the value of standards and global scale. And, and we can't forget that we are where we are because of the global scale of the industry, right? Yeah, I, I remember yeah. just anecdotally uh, a number of years ago when I took a management position running an analyst team, and I knew nothing about optical networks. And I, and I, I went to my optical analyst and said, I don't get it. But when I look at the market out there, there, there's like a a small number of mobile vendors and the mobile industry is huge and there's a ton of optical vendors. And how does a smaller market sustain that many more vendors? And his answer was because one's run by scale and the optical market doesn't have the same scale. And so you get more differentiation, but the differentiation means you don't get the scale. And so that's where we are, right? And so we can't forget that scale is what drove this industry. And so Mm -hmm. I think the risk of this battle it's much more important than what I thrive off of. And I think what, I, what my team does well when, when we're executing is to highlight what one region can learn from the other, what one region is doing that could be beneficial and how we move those global insights together to, to drive the whole industry. So, and to the point we are beginning to see that on the 6G side of things of as there's positioning around that it's a, what one region feels versus the other and I think we just need to focus on where we got we got here via scale and the focus on not the race to 5G but how do we race 5G forward together now and and one of the questions I've asked um several of our guests uh is and, and, and you talked about it that is 6G and the question I've always asked them is is it too early to talk about 6G What's your perspective? You, you think it's a good time to start talking about this, and why would that be? I, th- I think it's important to start thinking early, right? To think about what the technology needs to do, so that we can start planning. I mean, I mean, it, it, it's yes. Many people say it's, it's ten years away, and things come in ten-year cycles. We know it's not ten years away; it's less than that because we've been accelerating. But two, I think there's a recognition. This comes out to some of the work that we did earlier in talking to operators that those technologies have benefits for the generation that comes before. I think a lot of us can remember at a very technical level, right, when, when 4G was coming. And 4G was technology, great new, you know, things like, like multiple antenna configurations. We saw that have value in 3G, right? The 4G R&D was taking place, and that's just a very conc- one simple example. That R&D fed backward into the previous generation that improved it. And so I think on the one hand, we need to get prepared for what's coming, but also by doing that can improve the performance of today's 5G networks because they will be around for years and they will need to continue to evolve. That's good. That's brilliant. Now, um, one other question that um, I ask everyone, you know, we've talked about, I mean, the industry has talked about 5G for many, many years and we've always speculated. And again, it's kind of a sexy conversation, prophesized driverless cars, drones, all these different things. The reality is right now, 5G is predominantly driven by fixed wireless access, rural coverage, and again, the speculation of, well, it's not the speculation, the reality of private enterprise networks uh, for the B2B space. From your perspective, over the next 12 months, this is a very open question, and is what do you think will be the real, a, a real seismic, demonstrable 5G use case that will be prevalent in the United States? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I think, let me just start and, and 
Thanks for saying that's open. It means I can say anything, which is, which is wonderful. Which is right? I can, I can, yeah. So I think you hit it right, right? Fixed wireless, enterprise use cases, rural coverage are, are critical. But the question is sort of why are those critical? I think they're critical because they represent new revenue opportunities for operators, right? And so you know, if you look back, um, the GSMA did, did a survey of, of operators and CEOs and asked, like, what's the biggest revenue upside to 5G? And it's the enterprise. No wonder it's the enterprise, because if you look at the revenue profiles of most operators, most of the revenues don't come from the enterprise. So it's, it's, it's an untapped market, right? Reaching out to the competition for those, those rural areas, for those six spaces, that's all new upside. But I think we need to recognize that those handsets, the basic smartphone services are still what drives a lot of the industry. And so I think at a very basic level, what we'll see over the next 12 months is just the continuation of driving that out. And no, it's not where we want to be long-term where 5G is driving a lot of great enterprise use cases. That will come particularly as standalone networks get built out, as we get better integrated with some of the enterprise companies out there. But we can't forget that at a very basic level, serving those smartphones, we have skyrocketing data demand. We need to build the capacity, which 5G helps with. We need to build the capacity, which new spectrum helps with. That's a very basic thing that we can't forget. And it's going to be driven by operator marketing, yes, but also by their work with handset manufacturers where you know, you know, someone can ask, well, what's the killer use case for the consumer to have 5G? The killer use case is just that when they go to buy a new smartphone, it's going to have 5G in it. Right, and, and it shouldn't be what is going to happen to make that consumer get 5G. It's just going to be they're going to buy a new phone, and it's going to be in it, and it's going to be on there, and it's going to be great for the operator because it's a more efficient network, and they're going to get a better experience in the end. And maybe we spend a little bit of time overthinking what that, what that use case mm-hmm. is because in the end, we can't forget that is a very basic part on the consumer side of things. It's what's driving revenue. It's what's driving the data traffic. It's a big part of the 5G story that I think gets overlooked Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that's, um, yeah, it's just very real. Okay, great. Well, we're almost out of, uh, out of time, Peter, but there's one thing, um, I, I ask all our guests just to inject a bit of sort of other things than, than technology and business. I think this great, uh, this event has been a really great milestone and is seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, some return to normalcy. People are very excited. People are very happy, but what have you done recently, uh, that's given you that feeling um, of a return to normalcy that's given you some joy that you hadn't been able to do over the last 18 months? Yeah, I think in terms of being able to sort of haven't been able to do, it really is this idea of getting out to real life events. Um, and, and so I live in London and it was, you know, probably about two months ago, um, my wife and I went to a, a beer tasting event. Right. We'd bought tickets for the version of the event before the pandemic. Cancel, cancel, cancel. The ticket came in. And, you know, there was this bit of a, do we go? How do we feel about going to a big event now? What's it like? What's it going to be like? But just going and seeing people, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and even seeing the number of, you know, the small companies that are out there. And you forget that, you know, we're all intertwined in a global economy where we're all supporting each other, where, you know, even if I wasn't buying product from someone, I was supporting the venue who had people who were cleaning it, who had people who were taking tickets, who mm-hmm. all of that's connected, right? And and that seeing that all come together and and obviously it's not saving the world. It's not, you know, these these are very first world issues, right? But just getting back together with people, 
seeing people enjoy themselves, seeing people who wanted to do business, mm-hmm. right? There, there were a number of people at this event who came from outside of the UK and said, look, I don't expect to do any business here. I just really love what I do and to be able to get out and share it with people that yeah, I haven't yeah. been able to do in the last 18 months. Absolutely. It was a, it was, it was a great experience. Um, and I think it, it's, I think part of the reason why a lot of folks who are here at this show found this so valuable because it is that, that human connection side of things. Couldn't agree more. Lisa, thank you very much for joining the great indoors today. It's oh, been a great you. show great to be here. and um, we look forward to speaking to you again in the future. Wonderful. Thank you very much. You know, it makes such a significant difference speaking to the guests face-to-face rather than distantly over video conferencing software. Really, everybody is so happy to be back face-to-face. It's incredible. The smiles on people's faces, the engaging conversation. It really is so special. I, I really can't explain it. So stay tuned as we bring more MWC Los Angeles episodes for you over the next few weeks. Please subscribe to our podcast on all the usual podcast channels. Leave a review or rating if you feel so inclined. It certainly helps us. And check out two other Amdocs podcasts that are brilliant and available now. The Future of Tech with Avishai Charlin and Points of View with our CMO, Gil Rosen. Also visit our new and improved website amdocs.com forward slash the great indoors where we have a plethora of assets related to the series and and to what we're doing here in mwc now we'll be back next week uh, for another special edition of the great indoors from mwc la 21 i'm matt roberts for amdocs in los angeles and have a great day wherever you are